Amen. Open with me to John chapter number 4 tonight. John chapter number 4. I struggled to find the mind of God this evening, but I pray this is it and I believe this is it. I don't know that there's any more pressing of a topic than that of reaching lost souls for Jesus Christ. I believe it is not just a suggestion, but a commission. I believe it is not just a responsibility, but a requirement if we were to please God. I believe that it is not just an activity, but I believe that it is the work of the New Testament church. I do not simply believe that it is one of the things that we must be doing, but I believe it is the main thing that we must be doing. And I believe that there is a great deficit of it today in this day that we live in. I believe that there is great misperception about what it means to be evangelistic. And I believe that we have uh, boxed in our evangelism to certain organized efforts. And in doing so, we have let there be a lack of it in our everyday lives. I think if we are going to be effective, we have to be willing to go out into the highways and the hedges seven days a week. Not just for a uh, constituted amount of time. I believe that when a Christian loses their evangelistic fervor. I believe it's not long before they lose the joy of their salvation. John chapter number 4, and I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture here. Uh, Old Tom Malone used to say, I read a lot of Scripture so that hopefully I can get up nerve enough to preach by the time I'm done. Amen? So we'll see how that works. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. 
Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. And upon this came His disciples and marveled that He talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless your word. Give me the unction and power that's needed. Give me the wisdom that's needed this evening, Lord. I pray that it would be done in a way that would glorify you. Give us a burden and a passion to reach people for your Son. Father, let us not... Uh, rest until we've gained this burden. Let us not uh, seek relief from this burden, but let us welcome it and let it become a part of our life. Let it be a consuming thing, Father, that we might be consumed as the fire that burned in the bush without being consumed entirely, but that we might burn for Your glory and for Your honor. We love You tonight, Lord, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I find this to be probably one of the most quintessential passages on soul winning in all the Word of God. I believe the greatest model we have for anything is our Lord and Savior. Don't you believe that tonight? I believe He shows us how it ought to be done. And I believe in John chapter number 4, we have a personal account of one-on-one confrontational soul winning by our Lord and Savior. We might say He's winning this woman to Himself. He's showing this woman the truth of God's Word, and the precious truth of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the redemption that comes only through Jesus Christ. Could I say to you that the New Testament plan for evangelism is for it to permeate the lives of Bible-believing Christians. Now, tonight I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say, and I want you to listen to it very thoughtfully and very prayerfully. Because I believe all of us, this is an area of our life. You say, preacher, you don't know my life. No, but I I know the human life. And I know that my life is lacking in some of these things. And I believe your life is probably lacking in some of these things as well. I believe there is an entire group of people that we're not reaching. Most of us are reaching no one. Now, I'm just trying to be honest with you tonight. Most of us are reaching no one. Most of us are not actively giving the gospel out. Most of us aren't even actively inviting people to church. There may be some that do, and I commend it to you. I'd say you need to do it more. I need to do it more. There may be some that are not doing anything. I would say you need to be doing something. It needs to be a part of your everyday life. You see, God's plan is that we reach others. I mean, I know that seems very simple, but but the way that we live lends me to believe that we have forgotten this. We believe that the church has uh, grown and reaches people through, uh, through propaganda and uh, uh, through advertisement and through slick ministries and through slick programs. But I would say to you that there is no plan B for reaching the world other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
There's no plan B for reaching people. Oh, you, uh, you may send some things out. You may have some ministries that draw a few in. But I believe if we're going to reach people, we're going to have to do it person by person on a personal basis. This is what we've lost in the day that we live in. We look to the church as an organization to reach people when the church is not an organization, but rather an organism. A group of people that have gathered together to worship. I don't know if you're aware of this, but whenever you people leave, this is no longer Walridge Baptist Church until you meet again. Maybe the building that Walridge Baptist Church meets in. But when we disperse and go our way, uh, that is the church dispersing and going its way. It's not this building, it's not the brick and the mortar, it's not the, uh, the drywall and the studs, it's not the electrical wiring, it's not the plumbing that makes a church, but it's the people. And so the church as an organization is not what reaches people, but the church as an organism. Each part doing their part, reaching their part. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's people you can reach that I can't. There's people I can reach that you can't. We all have a sphere of influence around us. There are certain people in your life that trust you. There are certain people in your life that identify Christianity by you. You're the one that they're looking at. If someone was to ask them, what do you believe a Christian is like? They may not say your name, but you're who they would describe. You are the center of that sphere of influence in their life. You're the one making a difference in their life. You're the one that can most readily reach them. There are certain people in our lives that if we don't reach them, no one will. And I would say that... In a very practical sense, no one can. Now, of course, someone can give them a gospel tract. Of course, they can believe on Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to raise us to an elitist status, but I'm merely saying that God has ordained it that we are the ones with the best opportunity to reach them with the gospel. If I could propose to you the notion of a bullseye with three rings, and I believe that there is one of these rings of people that we are not reaching, If you could examine for me the bullseye itself, the most center ring, imagine, if you will, that these people are people that we know intimately. They're our friends, they're our family, they're people with whom we have dealings on a regular, regular basis. And can I say to you that we're fairly good at telling those people about Jesus Christ. Oh, you may have a cantankerous sibling. You may have a cantankerous family member that wants to hear nothing of it. But probably if I was to ask you this question, how many people in this room, all of the members of their immediately fa- immediate family know that they have been saved by the grace of God and that they go to church and that they love the Lord, probably most everybody would be able to raise their hand. This is your most immediate sphere of influence. These are the people that you're in contact with every single day. Could I say to you that on the outer edge of this bullseye is a group of people that we do not know at all except in passing. This is the category I believe that the woman at the well would have fallen into. These are people that we just pass by in the everyday. Could I say that when we go out and when we knock on doors and when we pass out tracks and when we do things of that nature, we're reaching those people on the outside ring. They're people that do not know us. And let me say that they're people that do not trust us. That's the truth of the matter. It's funny, you know, we, we knock on doors, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, us Bible-believing Christians, sometimes we can get a bit of a martyr complex, and uh, we wonder sometimes, we say, this world's so hostile, and people don't open their door anymore, and they won't let you talk anymore. Let me ask you something, friend. If somebody that looked like me knocked on your door at 7 o'clock at night, would you open to him? 
I'm not saying we shouldn't reach those people. Of course we should reach those people. I'm not saying we shouldn't endeavor to reach those people. Of course we should. I'm not saying that people can't be one in the outer ring. Of course they can. But could I say that probably most of the people on the very inner ring, they know where you stand. Most of the people on the very outer ring probably don't care where you stand. Unless the Spirit of God woos them through convicting power, they're not going to be ready to hear the gospel whenever they talk to you. But can I say that there is a middle ring of people that we're all familiar with. You would know him as your bank teller. You would know her as your hairdresser. You would, you would know him as the person that goes to the same gym. I, I, I don't know. I don't think any of us go to the gym, amen. But goes to the same gym as you do. You, you would know him or her as the person maybe that you went to high school with, that you just became Facebook friends with, started contacting again. These are groups of people that know us to some degree. But they're also groups of people that are not as intimately aware of our life that we take for granted that they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Listen to me tonight. These are the people we're not reaching. And these are the people that we must reach. These are the people that we shy away from. Let me tell you why we do that. People on the inner ring, are gonna, they're going to love us no matter what. Isn't that true? I mean, come on now. I, I, don't, I, I want you to listen thoughtfully, but I didn't say I want you to listen catatonically. Okay? I, I, the people on the very most inner ring, they're going to love us. Our family, they're probably going to love us no matter what. We don't mind talking to them about Jesus Christ because they'll forgive us. Those people on that outer ring, we don't mind talking to them. Let me tell you why. Because unless they get saved, we're probably never going to see them again. Isn't that true? I'm just being honest tonight. You, you hand a gospel tract to somebody at the Walmart, unless they get saved, you're probably not going to see them again. Not unless you make an effort to go and find them and track them down and to see them again. We don't mind witnessing to them. Do you know why? Because we do not mind endangering that relationship because there is no friendship there. But now this middle ring, this middle ring, that's people you work with. That's the people that know you but don't know you. You know what I mean? That's the people, that's the people y'all go to school with. People that y'all go to school with. That's that middle ring. Pay attention, look up. That's that middle ring. Middle ring of people. They know you. They know who you are. And you're going to see them again. Oh, but they don't, they, don't know, they don't know Parker real well. They don't know Caitlin or Taylor real, real well. I mean, they know you. They're just kind of acquaintances. I mean, that's, that's the people. Miss Kim, that's the people that you work with. And they, they know Miss Kim. They know who she is. They know Kim Ammons. You're probably not going to see them on a social level, but you'll see them at work. And we're scared to witness to those people. You know why? We're afraid it's going to affect our relationship with them. We're afraid they're going to start looking at us funny. We're afraid they're going to start treating us different. Let me tell you something. That's by satanic design that we have those fears. Do you know why? Those are the people we have the best chance of reaching. They're the people we have the best chance of reaching. Your family members, those that are closest to you, probably if they aren't saved, they're not going to listen to you. If they're not saved, they're probably not. It's probably going to take someone outside of that centering to reach him. You say, preacher, are you saying I shouldn't witness to my son or my daughter or my brother? No, by all means, witness to him. Thank, thank the Lord in heaven that there are exceptions to this rule. There are people that lead their uh, most dearest and closest family members to the Lord. But by and large, that's not usually who you reach. The person on that outer circle, you know what they see when, when you hand them a tract? They see those, those nutso people back in the 70s used to give out flowers at the airport. You know what I'm talking about? That's what they see. They don't know you. 
And they ain't interested in what you've got to say. You say, preacher, should we not? No, of course we should reach them. Because every now and then you'll find one that God's been a-watering on them. He's been a-watering on them. I mean, somebody gave them a gospel tract, and it didn't get thrown away. And they, they've read it, and their life has gone to pieces, and they're going through a divorce, and they've lost their job, and they're facing all these things. And God's getting their attention. Of course there's those. But you see, this middle ring of people, that's the people that know you enough to see your life. But they probably don't know you enough that you just take for granted that they're saved. That's the person that grew up in the broken home and for some reason wound up with a cubicle next to yours. That's the person that grew up and just got off drugs and got them a little job down at the grocery store to make them a little bit of money and bag your groceries. That's the person, hey, listen, that's the, that's the broken-hearted woman that just, uh, the, the black eyes just healed and the ink on the divorce papers uh, just got through drying and she's having to work down at the bank or at the doctor's office to try to make ends meet. And her life is broken and her heart is hurting and when she looks for a Christian, she sees you. She sees you. Some of you, and I don't want to raise of hands, but, but I do want you to raise your hearts if this is true. I want you to admit it to the Lord. Some of you, in your work environment, when something bad happens, you're the one they go to to talk to. That tells me something. It tells me that they believe you got the answers. This is the group we're not reaching. This is the group we can reach. Your workmates, your classmates, your friends, your neighbors, those that are seeing your life. Let me give you a couple reasons. This isn't, I, I believe with all my heart this is the mind of God tonight. And we may not even step back to the text, but I want you to listen carefully to me tonight. There's a few reasons we don't reach these people. One of them is that I've already said, we're afraid of damaging the friendship and the relationship, and we're afraid of causing social awkwardness. You see, we don't want to have to work with them for another five years and not be able to look them in the eye. You know what that is? That's your flesh, just like it's my flesh. That's the flesh saying that our pride is more important than their soul. That's what that is. That's our flesh saying, hey, it's more important that you don't wind up in the hot seat than that these people wind up in hell. Don't let that intimidate you. Those people need Christ. You say, preacher, what about what if they complain about me? Well, let them complain about you. Let me ask you this, what if they get saved? What if you have 10 or 12 of them complain on you, but one of them gets saved? Is it worth it? Preacher, what if, what if I lose my job? You mean the job God give you? That one? God didn't give you a job to put food in your mouth. He could feed you from the ravens if he wanted to. He did it to put you in place to be a light. That's why you're where you're at. That's why you're doing what you're doing. Some of us can look around at our life and we can see where God has placed us, providentially placed us. And it don't seem like a big deal until we start leading people to the Lord and we think to ourselves, you know, if I hadn't been in this job... I couldn't have led them people to the Lord. If I hadn't been in this trouble, I couldn't have led them people to the Lord. If I, hey, listen, if I hadn't lost that job and got a worse job, I couldn't have led those people. If I hadn't been filing for bankruptcy and talking to the man signing the papers on the house, I couldn't have led him to the Lord. On and on it could go. But the point is, just as Christ, there's times we must needs go through Samaria. Nothing's by accident. All things are by divine appointment. That's one of the reasons we don't reach those people. We're afraid to. We're afraid that that's going to change the dynamic of our friendship. And we're going to have to see them again. Let me give you another reason we typically don't. Because we don't want to deal with the headache and hassle it's going to bring on us. 
We have this mentality, well, I keep my church life at church and I keep my work life at work. That is straight out of hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. You're to be a Christian no matter where you're at. No matter where you're at. I'm not saying you need to get up on the work table and preach a sermon, three points in a poem, and give an altar call. Nobody's talking about that. But what I am saying is this. You're the only person they're going to get it from most of the time. You're the only person, when their heart is breaking, that scoots up beside them and says, let me just have a word of prayer with you. I think, all, I think we all have common sense enough to understand, too, the the boundaries that we ought to have. I think we all ought to understand enough. I mean, uh, people in work environments, there was a time when it was nobody but men in a work environment. You didn't have to say this, but now we have a co-ed work environment. I mean, we got enough sense. No, ladies, you got enough sense to know that you ought not be any man's shoulder to cry on other than your husband's. You know that. And, and, and husbands, you know better. You know that you ought not be the comforting arms for anybody but your wife. So you got sense enough to know what I'm talking about. But what I'm merely saying is this. When God provides an open door, that's a door for you to walk through. Those are the people you can reach. Those are the people that will walk through the doors of Walridge Baptist Church. Your family, most of the time, you've invited them so many times, they've wrote you off and they ain't going to come. Most of the time, a total stranger, why are they going to come to your church instead of going to the other church? But you see those people in that middle ring? They know you. They know you. They hear you talk about the Lord if you talk about Him. They hear you brag on the Lord if you brag on Him. They see God move and work in your life if you're allowing God to move and work in your life. And they see something different about you. At least they ought to. Let me give you a second reason that I believe many times we're not willing to reach this group in the middle is because it's going to change the way we have to live our lives. See, some of us are, and I listen, this whole secret disciple thing is straight out of hell. I hate it. I hate it with my whole heart. This I, Let me tell you something. People say, well, you know, that Christianity, that's just, you know, that our religion, that's a private matter. Who said? Who said? It ain't a private matter. It's a personal matter, but it's not a private matter. You, you say, what's well, different? I've given this illustration a thousand times, but you bear with me. I think it, I think it bears mentioning again, there's a difference between personal and private. If you say, preacher, what's your uh, personal phone number? I'd tell you. I don't care to tell you. It doesn't bother me to tell you what my phone number is. It's not a private matter, but it is personal. It's individual. belongs to nobody else. Something that's happened in my life, something that I've got, a way to reach me. Yeah, Christianity is a personal thing. There's no question. Been personally saved by the grace of God. He's made a personal difference in my life. And I've got a personal reason to praise His holy name for it. That's a personal thing. But now there's other things that are private. You say, preacher, what's that social security number? <laughs> Good luck with that. I wouldn't even tell it to the Presbyterian church, let alone a Baptist church. Come on now. That's private. Christianity is personal, but it's not private. It is by very definition and by nature to be a public thing. I don't mean public in the sense of Phariseeism, but I mean public in the sense of boldly proclaiming what God has done in your life. It's to be a public thing. And I'll tell you why a lot of people won't reach that middle circle. I'll tell you why, why a lot of, why a lot of our, our young people... I ain't picking on these young people, but I got them here so I can pick on them. That's why. But, but I'll tell you why a lot of people won't witness to the kids at school and won't invite them to church. Because then we're going to have to change the way we live around them because they know we're a Christian. And I'll tell you why a lot of us at work, and it ain't just at work, some of you have already been, been retarded, retired, retired, but you've still got a sphere of influence. You've still got people in your life that God's putting you around. And sometimes we don't want to reach that middle ring because we're going to see them again, and then we're really going to have to toe a line. 
That's why. We don't want them to know we're a Christian because then we got to act like a Christian. Let me tell you something. You'll find, you are, if, if you're not already there, you're on the pathway to losing the joy of your salvation. You say, preacher, you mean losing your salvation? No, I didn't say losing your salvation. I said losing the joy of your salvation. Uh, This closet Christianity makes a miserable Christian. Because Christianity is to be proclaimed and declared. You're to live uh, to the praise of His glory. That's why you walk this earth, is to glorify Him. If you're not glorifying Him, you're defeating the purpose for which you're put on this earth. And it makes a miserable Christianity. Now, the fact of the matter is, sometimes we don't want to do it, because then then we can't, listen, we can't talk with that barnyard language anymore after they know we're a Christian. We can't, I mean, hey, listen, we, we, can't, we can't tell them dirty jokes and laugh at them dirty jokes if they know we're a Christian. I mean, we, we can't, you know, if, if we make it plain that we're a Christian, hey, you say, preacher, I can't witness to them with the way that I'm acting. Well, change the way you're acting. They need to be saved. They need to be saved by God's grace. Hey, preacher, you're being hard on it. No, I'm trying to help you because one day we're going to give an account. One day we're going to answer for it. And we've got to start reaching this middle ring. The hope and the great hope of every soul winner is that we have continuous contact with those that we've witnessed to because they come to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ought not be ashamed to witness to people because we're going to have to change the way we live. We ought to be living the way that we live so that we can witness to them. So that we can be a testimony and can be a witness to them. Part of the reason that we don't do it now, listen carefully. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. Part of the reason we don't do it is we don't really care. We don't really care. We'll talk to that outer ring because it's easy. It's easy. It don't take much. It don't take much. Praise the Lord for it, but it don't take much. It don't take much to do this. I don't take much work. Here. It don't take much work. That's not hard to do. Hand those out to people. We can do that. You know that? We can do it. You don't get, you don't get one. We don't. <laughs> that just means i got confidence in your testimony. It ain't hard to do that. Listen to me. It's hard to sit with somebody while their heart's broken and while their eyes are filled with tears and pray with them and encourage them and try to lead them to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we do it because it's just too hard to do. Sometimes we don't do it because we don't feel like keeping up our testimony, but sometimes we do it because we just don't feel like keeping up. We just don't want to take the time and the energy that it takes to be a continual testimony and witness to people around us. You know what we do? We look at it and we say, i got my own issues. Let me tell you something. I, and, and everybody says that, that you take your perceptions of God after your perceptions of your daddy. And uh, I, I believe there's some truth to that. And can I, can I just, can I, can I pretend like, like, like God would act like my daddy in that situation? And can I, can I just do a little, a little play for you? I don't know if you had a daddy like I did. But if my daddy told me to do something and I said, you know, daddy, I'm just working through issues, I can hear my daddy saying, I'll give you some issues to work through. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I kind of feel, I mean, I'm thankful that our Heavenly Father is uh, long-suffering and, uh, and everlastingly loving kind, and I'm thankful for that. But I kind of believe that one of these days, that whenever we say to God and stand before Him and answer for the things that we've done, we say, God, I couldn't reach Him, I was just working through issues. He's going to say, you're going to have some issues to work through. You're going to answer for that. God help us that we're so selfish. And you say, preacher, quit preaching at me. I ain't. I'm preaching at me. Maybe me and you's in the same place. And we both need repentance. Amen? 
Isn't it awful when we're so selfish, we'll let people die and go to hell because we're just too self-centered and we think it's all about us. All about what we're going through, all about what we need, what we want, what we're facing. Hey, I know life gets tough. I know the road gets rocky, and I know that the mountain gets steep, and I understand that. But let me tell you something. God gives grace. And He gives grace not only so that we can go on, but so that we can go on and proclaim His name and witness to those that are around us. I want to give you a few practical things, and I'm going to hush, and we'll have the Lord's Supper. Our Lord must needs go through Samaria. He saw soul winning as an urgent thing. Not as a simple activity to be engaged upon whenever we take a notion, but he must needs go through Samaria. I know that the commentators, if you read the commentators, there's, there's, there's better uh, things you can do with your time, but if you read the commentators, uh, they will say that he must needs go through Samaria because the passageway went through Samaria. I would propose to you that he must needs go through Samaria because there was a woman going to be by a well that needed Christ's salvation. There's people that need it. I mean, this isn't, there's, listen to me, and this, this grieves me. There's going to be people in hell because I dropped the ball. I'm willing to say that about me. Are you willing to say that about you? There's people going to be in hell because I dropped them. There's going to be people in hell because I must needs go through Samaria. And I had my issues and my excuses that kept me from it. He must needs go through Samaria. There was an urgency. But I want to say not only was there an urgency, but there was an open conversation that he engaged. He sits down upon the well and the woman uh, comes to him and he kind of beats her to it. He says, give me to drink. Give me to drink. He didn't need nothing to drink. He needed to talk to her. Let me give you a little advice. You want to win those around you? Be a human being towards them. Be a Christian towards them, but be a human being towards them. Have a conversation with them. Talk to them about how good God's been in your life. Don't, don't recite a script to them. Be a friend to them. Talk with them. One of the things I always try to do, if I knock on a door, if I talk to somebody uh, just out in public, one of the things I try to do is I try to have conversation with them. I don't, I don't look at them and I don't say, uh, <clears throat> can you stand there for a moment? <clears throat> what does the Bible say about you? Wouldn't it be interesting to find... No, that's not what I do. You know why? You look nuts if you do that. Talk to them. Be a human being. Christ came to save sinners. Show them, show them that you're nothing but a sinner saved by grace. Talk to them. Hey, there was an open conversation. Uh, but I, I would propose to you that not only was there an open conversation, but there was a probing question that was given. You know why he said, give me to drink? So that she could say, I ain't got nothing to drink. You say, preacher, I don't, I don't get it. He asked her that question so that she would see her emptiness. Let me tell you what we're guilty of, and this is true of everything in life. Listening is a lost art. I'm as guilty of it as anybody. You know what most people are doing when, when they're talking to you? I hate to break your bubble. You, you may, If you're narcissistic enough to think that people are listening to you, I'm going to burst your bubble. But you know what most people are doing when you're talking to them? They're sitting there trying to figure out what they're going to say next. Isn't that true? Stop and think about most conversations you have. People are talking to you. You're not listening to them. You're not even paying attention. You're sitting there thinking, what am I going to say back to them? You'd be amazed how far listening will get you with those that need Christ. You'd be amazed if, if you'll let them do some talking. You'd be amazed what they'll tell you. One of the most reckless means of evangelism is that in which the person giving the gospel drives the entire conversation without ever being sensitive to the responses of those that need Christ.
I'll give you an example. We had VBS. This was a couple of years ago. We had a little boy who rode in on the van, and he's just a little fella. He's, he's a little, little dirty child, you know. I like those at VBS, the ones you can tell. I mean, they, they look like pig pen, you know. They're, they got they got stink lines coming off of them. But he was a sweet little boy, and he had he had come, and he had listened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and uh, he had uh, one, one of our workers had dealt with, I believe Brother Kerry had talked with him, and he said, you know, Toby, he said, would you talk to him? I just want to be sure. I'm not, you know, I'm not. He was a little fella, little fella. And so uh, we went over and we stand right by this piano. I can't remember his name, Trevor or Isaiah or something. I said, son, tell me what happened to you. And he said, I got saved. I said, well, good. I said, can you tell me how that happened? He said, I asked Jesus to save. I said, why could he save you, son? He said, because he's magic. <laughs> I told that little boy, I said, son, you need to keep coming back, but you don't understand yet. You've not been saved because you don't understand yet. But that's okay. Keep reading your Bible. Keep coming back. Keep coming to church. Keep listening carefully. The Lord loves you. You'd be amazed what you'll learn if you'll listen. You'd be amazed what you'll learn if you'll listen. He asked this woman a question, asked something of her, so that she would admit her bankruptcy. And then he listened. You find that an interaction takes place, but before it goes any further, he says, I have water to drink. I have the answer. Let me tell you what we're guilty of. We're guilty of trying to reason people into salvation, and we're guilty of trying to bargain them into salvation. We're guilty, listen carefully, we're guilty of dialing back the redemptive ability of God, lest we disappoint them. And we're guilty of trying to uh, use logic to reason them into coming to know Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what a sinner needs to know. They need to know that we've got something they don't have, but that they need. They need to understand that they're lacking something in their life. And most of the time, a sinner, if you'll talk to them and if you'll listen to them long enough, They'll say one way or another that they realize something's missing in their life. They may not say it the way you're hoping and or expecting it, but they'll admit that they're not happy. They'll say things like, well, you know, I just sometimes I just don't feel happy. Sometimes, you know, my life just feels a little bit empty. Well, you know, sometimes they're just, I'm so angry. And they'll say, you know what they're saying? They're saying, I don't have any water. And the well's too deep. And there's no one to draw it. You know, that's the place where you step in and you say, I know a man that has the water that you need. You don't say it like that. You step in and you say, well, you know, ever since the Lord saved me, I found that even though I've had times of discouragement, He's always been with me. That's, and this is just practical. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not sounding the depths of theological ideals here, but I'm trying to give you something that you can take with you tomorrow and put into action. And you say to Him, well, you know, anger is a poisonous thing. But I'm thankful that the Word of God teaches me to be angry and sin not. And even though it's natural to be angry, I'm thankful that the Lord's given me eyes like Jesus Christ that can see the need of people instead of the nature of people. There's a few things that he said to her, and I want to give these to you just bullet point style. Not, not bullet style, bullet point style. There was three things that he did. The first thing he did was he did not accept a false profession. She said, give me to drink of this water that I might not have to come hither anymore. And, you know, most of us, most of us would have said, glory, let's write their name down, let's fill out a card and let's dunk them. But you see, our Lord understood something. 
she was still thinking in the physical realm. She was still thinking about the kind of water that, that you swim in, that you splash around, that you clean with. She didn't get it yet. Understand, not everybody that will give you a profession of faith gets it yet. You say, preacher, are you saying they've got to work? No, I'm not saying they've got to work for it. I'm saying sometimes they don't understand what you're saying. Sometimes, let me tell you, the most common misconception, I, I believe it is the source of the vast majority of false professions in American culture today. People want a Savior that can get them out of debt, not a Savior that can get them out of hell. People want a Savior that can get them out of a bad marriage, not a Savior that can get them out of their sin. They want a Savior that can get them out of a bad family situation, not a Savior that can get them out of sin. And so when you come along and when you say God can be everything that you need, they don't understand that they need Him when it comes to their sin nature yet. They just understand they're in a bad spot. They want out of it. They want their finances to be better. They want the relationships to be better. They don't understand yet that it's not that they've got a little bit and God's going to make up the gap. It's that they're completely spiritually bankrupt and they're in need of Christ's full salvation. He didn't accept a false profession. I want you to notice something else. He did not allow him to be drawn into a theological conversation. Don't try to talk spiritual things with people that are spiritually dead. It's that simple. She said, well, you know, uh, where is it that we ought to worship? You know, our fathers say we ought to worship in this mountain, and your fathers say that we ought to worship in Jerusalem. And, you know, really, we just haven't got this thing figured out. Let me translate that to what you hear at work and what you all hear at school. Well, you know, there's a lot of people say the Bible's the Word of God, but, you know, there's been so many revisions, and there's been so many changes, and there's been some... Well, you know, people say that Christianity is the way, but, you know, we're just raised in that faith, and the Muslims are raised in their faith, and the Jews are raised in their faith, and, you know, they're trying to draw you into a theological conversation when they're spiritually dead. They don't even understand what they're talking about. They get these talking points from where they've heard other people argue with Christians and try to get out of the way of Christ's salvation. And so they just recycle these things and polyparate them along to you. Don't get drawn into it. You're not there to debate theology with them. You're there to point them to Calvary. That's simple. You're there to point them towards Calvary. You say, preacher, what if they have questions? Invite them to church. Tell them their questions could be answered. But that's not what you're there for. You say, preacher, what if they say they don't believe me? Tell them it's not about believing you. It's about Jesus Christ. On and on we could go. We could look at every scenario. I believe there is a correct response in every scenario. But the point is this. Your job is not to make them a Baptist. They can be a Baptist and split hell wide open. Your job is not to make them an independent fundamental Baptist because there's plenty of those on their way to hell. Your job is not to uh, make them a, a professing Christian. Your job is to make them a possessing Christian. It's not just about trying to win an argument. A lot of times you can win the argument and lose the person. Most of the time, if they're willing to argue with you, they're not interested in what you've got to say anyway. Haven't you found that to be true in your life? Haven't you found when you argue with people nine times out of ten, they're not interested in what you have to say anyway? If they were, they'd shut up and listen to you. But they're not. They're not interested in it. You say, how do I deal with that, preacher, when someone wants to be combative and argumentative? You just tell them openly, lovingly, compassionately, I'm not here to argue about church with you. I just want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. I'm not here to argue with religion with you. I'm just here to tell you what Christ has done for me. See, they can't argue with that. They can argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your testimony. 
Not unless they'll just call you a liar. I mean, they, they, they can feign that you're misunderstood. They can feign that you just don't understand this world and all the intricacies, intricacies of it. But they can't do anything about your testimony unless they're willing to call you a liar. Why do you think it was that Paul time and time again raised the hand and say, Men and brethren, one day I was on the road to Damascus. <laughs> this was a man that could argue theology. This was a man whose life's passion was to go to places and argue theology. But when it came time to win sinners to Christ, he didn't argue theology. He lifted his hand and he said, You may believe this and you may believe that, but let me tell you what Christ did for me. Let me tell you what happened to me. Take it or leave it, but this is what God has done in my life. Let me tell you, we'd gain a lot more ground if we'd be willing to say, but, you know, we're ashamed of Him. We're ashamed of Him, and that's why we don't do it. We don't like that vulnerability, see. But you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed how much ground you can gain if you'd be willing, when the time comes, to talk to somebody about the Lord. Don't argue with them, but just say, you know, when I was a 10-year-old boy, that God convicted me and showed me I was on my way to hell. Has he ever done that for you? Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't. Well, let me tell you what else he did. Not only did he convict me and show me I was on my way to hell, but he showed me that Jesus Christ died for my sin. Well, you know, I don't really believe that. Well, well that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you what Christ did for me. I can't argue with that. Let me give you a final thing, and I'm going to hush. He brought it to a place of decision. She said, well, you know, when the Messiah, the Christ, comes... He's going to settle all this. And you know that's what people say today? Even the most absolute, vile, infidel, pagan sinner will say, well, one of these days when we get to heaven, the Lord will settle all this. One of these days, whenever we die and cash in our chips, you know, we're going to figure all this out. One of these days, you know what they're saying? They're wanting to put you off till the one of these days and get you off of this today because they don't like that today business. When you saved, you saved on a today. You weren't saved on a tomorrow, and you weren't saved on a yesterday. When you got saved, it was a today to you. Every single person in this world that accepts Christ as their Savior gets saved on a today. December 1st, 1997 was my today. I didn't put it off till December 2nd, 1997, and I didn't do it on the very end of the day of uh, November. I can't even remember how many days. How many days November got in it? 30. I didn't do it on November 30th, 1997. Sounds better that way. I didn't do it on that day. I did it on December 1st, 1997. Do you know why? Because that's the day God was dealing with me. And that's the day I had a choice to make. God pressed me, and I had to make a decision. Let me tell you something. You need to make people understand as you talk with them. And I'm not talking about being unkind or incompassionate. But they do need to understand that a decision is being made. decision is being made. And you'll have people tell you, they'll say, well, preacher, just, just not today, just not today. Or maybe they'll tell you at your work, well, you know, I just, just not today, not today. And that's when you gently remind them, well, you know, no man's promise tomorrow. And I'm not going to sit and argue with you, and you, I can't make this decision for you. You've got to make it. And I'm not here to press you into making a decision. I'm not here to make you make a decision. But, but I do want you to know you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. And in turning away, you are making a decision. You're not, you see, if, you, if you've witnessed to them correctly, they already understand what that means. Because if you've witnessed to them correctly, they already understand that they're not waiting to get to heaven and stand in front of a big pair of scales and have their good measured against their bad. They already understand that the wrath of God abides on them already. And you say, well, you know, I ain't going to make you make that decision. And I, and I hate that you're 
turn away from it. Know that I love you. I'll be praying for you. And you know what's a good reminder? And I want you to know I'm going to be back again to have word of prayer with you. But I sure would love to see you make a decision for Jesus Christ. I, nobody's talking about forcing anyone to do anything. By the very nature of the conversation, they're already forced to make a decision. Already forced. Christ said, I that speak unto thee am he. I that speak unto thee am he. said, you can put it off, but you may put it off too long. We're too guilty of doing a little and feeling like we've done our part. Listen carefully. I know that the Word of God says that one planteth, another watereth, but God giveth the increase. I understand that. But let me tell you something. We're too, we're too, we've bought into this whole sowing a seed thing. And I'm not opposed. I understand there is a truth to that. I understand that there is a truth to when we give the Word of God, the seed is sown. And there's no question that there's many that have come to know Christ. When I got saved as a 10-year-old boy, and I give this as a testimony of that, nobody led me to the Lord. Why? Because the seed of the Word of God had been planted in my heart. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but don't let that be a crutch for you. Don't let that be a crutch. You know, you know there's some people uh, that I know of that are, that are as bad about it as this. They'll go and they'll say, well, you know, the Lord loves you to someone. That is as, as innocuous of a statement as you can possibly make. Now, it's good. You need to tell people that. But you won't upset anybody, anybody, except a rabid atheist, maybe, by telling them the Lord loves them. By the way, just telling them the Lord loves them is not enough for them to come to know Christ either. They have to know the gospel. But there's some of us that will say, well, you know, the Lord loves you. And then we'll walk away and we'll snap our suspenders and we'll say, well, I planted a seed today. It's a mighty small seed you planted. And there's a lot of dirt in their heart. The fact of the matter is, we're guilty of doing very little and believing we've done very much. There's times that's the only open door God gives you. Praise the Lord for that open door when it's there. But these people in the middle ring, most of us have a better opportunity than that. You're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to see people in the middle ring. What are you going to do about it? You're going to go to school tomorrow and you're going to see people in the middle ring. In the middle ring. I'm talking about people that know you, but they don't know Christ. You're going to be the bridge for them to come to know Christ. They don't know Christ, but they know you. But you know Him. You know Him. Some of you, you're going to go, what do retired people do? You're going to go to the Cotton Eye Joes to go dancing tomorrow. And <laughs> No, some of you that are retired, you're going to go about your day. You may go to a doctor's office. You may go to your bank. You may go grocery shopping. But you're going to meet some of those people in the middle ring. Are you going to be willing to talk to them? Are you, going to, you say, preacher, what should I do? Well, it's always a good thing to invite them to church. Always a good thing. But you know, they can come through the doors of this church and leave here and split hell wide open. They need Christ's salvation. They don't need to know this preacher. Wonderful if they do. But they don't need to know this preacher. They can know me and miss everything. But if they know him, they've got everything. So invite them to church. Of course, invite them to church. You should always invite them to church and let them know they got... Listen, let them know they got a friend to sit with. This is practical. You understand? This is practical. We're not sounding the theological depths. This is practical. Let them know they got a friend to sit with. Let them know. And listen, if you invite somebody to church, you ought to be here. You ought to be here. How would you feel? How would you feel if somebody invited you to something and they didn't show up? How'd that make you feel? You invite them to church, you ought to be here. And listen, there ain't nothing wrong with calling them throughout the week. I don't mean six, seven, eight times. I mean once, maybe twice. Just, hey, just want to remind you, church coming up on Sunday, I'm excited about you being there. 
hey, just wanted to remind you, church is in a couple days. We're going to be parking at such and such spot. You can park beside us if you want to, if there's a spot open. Hey, church is coming up. We usually sit on this side of the church. You can sit anywhere you want, but I'd love it if you'd sit with me. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed how God would begin to work. We all need to do our part. I need to do my part as a pastor. Let me say there's areas in my life I need to do it more. You need to do your part as the church member. But let me say even beyond that, you need to do your part as a Christian. As a Christian. As someone that knows Christ's salvation. And someone that can share that truth with others.